0: Father, we thank you that you are so good and so gracious to us. We praise you, our Father in heaven. And and we would pray today, Lord, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, that your name would be hallowed, Lord. And Father, we pray that that would be true as we study your word and as we study on areas where where as Christians we ju- we would disagree. We disagree with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, but that, Lord, that we would desire for your name to be hallowed. We would desire for your your kingdom come, your will be done, that we would understand you more as we would dive into these things, Lord, because you've revealed them for a purpose. You, you've revealed the truths about what is to come, for a purpose to edify us, to... To, to encourage us, Lord, to motivate us, Lord. And, and, and so, Father, we pray that you'd help us uh, to, to understand, you help us to set our biases aside to, to try to understand these, what you have revealed to the best of our ability. We pray that you do this for your glory and for the edification of your church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are talking about eschatology which is that fancy word for the doctrine of the last things, right? The doctrine of the the things to come, that God has already told us in advance of what is going to happen. And we've talked about that, even though there are areas of disagreements, which we've been looking at the last couple weeks, that on the whole, that true Christians agree on more than we disagree we like to focus on what we disagree on. It makes good discussion. It makes good conversation sometimes. Um, but, but we need to. We wanted. To, we started with the idea is that as Christians, we agree on more than we disagree. Most importantly, what is most important? What makes eschatology? Eschatology. What? It's all centered around. The, the 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 end times are not centered around the millennium. The millennium is one chapter. The, 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 it's centered around the return of Christ, and that's what uh, that all believers we hold to this definite return. This also the indefiniteness of the timing, and but more importantly, this attitude of expectation that drives us to holiness, that drives us to perseverance as we eagerly await Christ's return. But we also did start to look at, two weeks ago, that there are disagreements amongst genuine Christians on this um, issue, specifically focused on one chapter, right? Revelation chapter 20. So we're back back there again. So you can turn there again. Um, I think this will be the last week that we're really focusing just particular on this chapter, the last of really three views. But... It's this issue of the millennium. Revelation chapter 20 talks about the millennium, and there are three views historically. There are three views historically. First, we looked at amillennialism. Amillennialism, the A means no. So there's not a literal thousand year period that's between the present age and the second coming of Christ. So if you think of this timeline that we've talked about before of the Old Testament and the coming of Christ and then you have the present age and then eventually you have the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. Well, the, what the Amillennialists would say is that there is not a thousand-year period that's here in between these two. Amillennialists would view right now as both the tribulation and the millennium. That both are descriptions of what this present age is, and they they base that on their reading of Revelation. That they see Revelation is this series of circular descriptions starting from the beginning of this period ending in the destruction of the earth as as these these um, circular circular descriptions there. And we saw there's problems of that that, that we can, we want to understand that that there's that it's not just pulled out of the blue or some crazy theology but there's a real understandable reading of revelation that they're giving from this but the problem is and my problem specifically is that if if we're there if 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 in the end times we come and that there's more overlap in Revelation than, than I may see personally. I, I, I could say, okay, well, I was, I was wrong on that, but I can see where I was wrong. But you, there's a there's a real break in, in, in Revelation chapter 20 that doesn't seem to be the starting to the end again and specifically dealing with Revelation 20. There are these issues of First of all, they're trying to to, to describe this description of this revelation or this resurrection in Revelation 20. That obviously there is no resurrection yet, right? That believers who have died, they're still dead. So they're saying, well, when it talks about this resurrection, it has to be a spiritual resurrection. And then later there's a physical resurrection, but there's really there's a, uh, that doesn't fit with the description of Revelation chapter 20. Second of all, when you talk about the binding of Satan, um, that, the, the idea that Satan's bound during this time um, and unable to deceive the nations that that conflicts with um, other New Testament teachings as what we 're going to look at today that there's there's also there's these Old Testament descriptions looking forward that don't really describe the present state and don't really describe the eternal state but seem to describe something that is almost in between those two where there's, there's, Christ, there's the Messiah ruling and yet death and rebellion and sin are still present. So it seems to be some sort of other classification there. So that, that's the first system we looked at. The second system, our view on this, is... Oh my, I'm going of space, aren't I? Post-millennialism. So in the same word ah meaning no, post means After. Right? And so, really, what what the post millennials would say is that this present age, the church would bring in the millennium. Because of the influence that the church has with the gospel, the influence of the church on society, it's this optimistic view that the church is going to bring in this perfect time of peace and righteousness. The church is going to control society and impact society to such a way that that the church is actually going to bring about the millennium, this millennial age of of peace and, and, and righteousness. And at the end of that, then Christ will return and bring about the eternal state. And so they would say, most of them would say that the, uh, that the tribulation was only from the uh, resurrection of Christ up until 70 AD. That was the tribulation, and ever since then, it's kind of like this premillennial, like, uh, that's probably not a great word to use. It's this um, setting up this millennial time, and that the church is going to be so effective that one of these days the church is going to impact society in such a great way that the, Christ is going to use the church to bring about a perfect Christian world. Uh, we saw some issues with that. First of all, um, there's, there's some, some difficulties that most people have abandoned this position because they just don't see that this is the, how God's working. That God is not working progressively to to bring more and more righteousness to the church, but the church is, is actually... Even though we're gaining ground through the gospel, that, that through culture and society, that there's a, there's a lessening of influence. But even more than that, the biggest problem I have is, is biblical. Right? We looked at biblical, biblically. Post millennialists just don't really deal with Revelation chapter twenty. That the grounding for post millennialism is in the Great Commission and in the the, the kingdom parable that Jesus gives. Of it seems like Jesus is describing this this impact on all nations where everyone's going to be impacted. And when it comes to Revelation chapter 20, there's not a lot of engagement on that because most of it, they say, well, most of Revelation and most of this description of the tribulation, that already happened. The tribulation's already happened. Revelation chapter three through 16, that already happened. That's all in the past. And so there's a really, there's not an engagement um, with, with with the text of Revelation as, as far as those things. So I think those are the, the biblical issues are even more important because we can we all say that Sometimes our experience causes us to read things wrongly, right? So we could say, by experience, it seems like the church is in decline. But if that's God's plan, that, you know, 100 years from now or 200 years from now, that God's going to turn things around and, 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 and through the influence of Christianity in the global south and Africa and, and, and Asia and, and, and Latin America, that there's going to be this resurgence of Christianity, who knows? You know, I, I, so if we, wanna, we don't want to judge it by experience, but the problem is really more biblically of, of just a, a really – in a way that they just don't really deal with Revelation 20 at all. And so, so that's the post-millennial view. Um, um, other, so any questions there before we move on to the third position? No, no? I don't know if that's, as I always I say, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it is what it is, I guess. So no questions? Uh, my comment, yes, of course. Um, my <laughs> comment was, if they thought it, the tribulation already happened? Yes. How do they explain all the things that, you know, the, the marks of the beast and this and that? And that means, you know, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, it is. It is, um, I, I'm not a, I'm not a preterist, so that's not my position. So I, I've said this before, so it's difficult. Right. So I don't know if I can answer those questions. No, yeah, um, I'm just saying yeah, uh, I I could point you to a brother a, a brother later that they probably could answer if you really want to know in our church that, that holds that position, um, but I would say um, probably my guess in, in trying to be charitable is there's much that, that is imagery right, and so they would look at that there's much of there's 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 a lot of imagery with that, and so that there are certain things of. I don't know, I'm guessing of things of maybe those who, who went over and were, were participating with the Romans. You, you think of Josephus, right? Josephus, this Jewish citizen who, who kind of seen this high turning, went over and, and kind of participated with the Romans. And, and you're saying that, that, that Rome, if you look at it in, in Revelation, it says that the description of, wait the description of, is it Babylon, right? Is the city on with seven hills, right? It's describing Rome that John is specifically describing Rome in this aspect. So they would say, well, it's, just, it's not describing China or describing this future Antichrist empire. It's describing Rome. So that seems to fit the context of 70 AD. I would say, I think there's more going on there. But I could see them trying to make that argument. Again, I don't know if that's what they'd make or not, but that's probably yeah. So, I think you're good. So that's The dating, how that, yep. How that, because they, I mean, they might have a point there. Yep. If, yeah. There's a dating. I think that they're, I think that because it's it's one of the only things to say. It's so dependent on the dating, right? To say that, that it also there's there's an issue there, right? It's saying if the dating's not as they say it is, then everything falls apart too. and the, and the, the evidence on dating there is. Dating on any book of the Bible, I would say, is it's, 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 it's difficult. It's difficult to pin yeah. down, right? And so, um, but, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that's what I'm saying. I, in any of these points, I would say, I'm going to say in premillennialism, I'm a premillennialist, but I'm a premillennialist in the sense also of, if this is not, if, if in the end things happen differently than, than my expectation, I'm not going to be shocked out of my boots, because I think that there is—again, we're dealing with one chapter of Scripture and trying to interpret that, and I think it, it makes it difficult, I mean, when you're, especially when you're looking at the millennium. And I think that, as I'm going to say, the most natural reading, if you were to pick up Revelation, you were to read it cover to cover— the most natural reading I think fits with the premillennialist and, and, and not trying to say, well here's my theological system how do I is, the question is not how do I make Revelation 20 fit in my theological system It's what is the, what does it just seem to say And then if that's what it says, how does that make a theological system? I, I just think it fits better. but you know if, if, if the reading if I'm you know if I'm reading Revelation, wrong, you know, I'm not going to be completely surprised. I think that, that there, there, are, there are arguments to be made on, on, on either of the other positions. So, so, I don't know if that helps. Maybe more wishy-washy than some people, but that's, that's just that's where I'm at. Um, Alright, so let's talk about pre-millennialism. So, if post-millennialism millennialism means Christ returns after the millennium. Pre-millennialism means Christ returns when? Before the millennium. So here's the idea with premillennialism that there's the Old Testament, this this present age. At the end of this present age, Christ is going to return, again, and then you're gonna he's gonna physically rule. He's gonna physically rule over the earth um, with his people for a, a thousand years. Um, there's some variations on the details of that rule and who who how things will rule with him. We're gonna look at that next week. There's there's Really, two variations of millennialism, um, and depending on the, the authority of, of of how that rule works. But we're gonna we'll, we'll look at that more next week. Um, during this time, Satan is bound. Um, uh, see, uh, there there are times that there are both believers and unbelievers still present. So Christ is ruling. the 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 um, The resurrected saints are with him, but there are still unbelievers. Right, there's still unbelievers. There's still sin. There's still rebellion. He has to crush with an iron rod. There's still death. Um, it, it, death seems to look different because of of Christ's rule. But there's still evidence of the fall. Until at the and then at the end of the thousand years, Satan's released. There's a final uh, defeat of Satan. Uh, final judgment, and then the eternal state where there is no more sin, and there is no more death, and there is no more rebellion. So that's the picture of, of pre-millennialism. Is there uh, temple sacrifice during that time? There are... On, on the one version I'm pretty sure would have it. I'm not sure on the other one. Okay. So, yeah. Because again, what I would say in Revelation 20, you don't see it. Right? Um, but if you're putting things together, especially if you're saying um, in a classic dispensationalist view that those who rule with Christ are the Jews, that w- we may be there, but we're not actually ruling with Christ fully. We're kind of like, we're there, we get to experience the blessings, but it is, it is really the millenniums for the Jewish people. And so that, that, that there are some views in that of a restoration of a temple sacrificial system and some other things there. But, but it probably a, even then would be in a different different purpose, right? It's not, it's not as a, it, an aspect for sins, of worship, of praise, or some other thing I'm guessing, but I, I'd have to look more into that and so into some of those positions. I think, but I think that there's some different views on that, okay. from my understanding. Was just kind of curious to that, uh, the, the Ezekiel. Trying to yeah, I, to I mean, that. I would probably take Ezekiel is temple imagery. So it's interesting. You look at um, Greg Beale in his book on Revelation talks about if you look at the descriptions of the holy city, it's actually a description of the holy of holies. If you look at if you look at um, uh, uh, um, Leviticus, no, uh, Exodus, and Deuteronomy, the description of the Holy of Holies, and then you look at the description of the New Jerusalem, you're going to see a lot of overlaps. So that you're looking at Ezekiel's picture of the temple is 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 that it seems like John, what he's doing is he's saying that this picture of this restored temple is is not necessarily a. A literal temple, but it, it is the new heavens, and the new earth. It is the new Jerusalem. That the, the temple was always meant to symbol. What the temple symbolizes, the temple actually symbolized the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden is where people, dwe- where where man dwelt with God, um, and that, that that fellowship was broken, and that was restored. Really, with this with, with the tabernacle, right, where God's glory came to dwell with His people, and in, and with the temple, you start to see this. this Eden imagery in the tabernacle where you see pomegranates and fruits and and all this this imagery it's almost like the temple is a restored garden of Eden where God's glory dwells with his people temples destroyed then you see that the God's glory comes and dwells with the person of Jesus Christ um, Jesus is is, is uh, ascends to heaven and he sends the Holy Spirit and so that we are now the temples of the Spirit as, as God dwells with us but then there's a, a almost a restored Eden. If you look, and Elias has pointed out this a lot as well, is that you look at the last two books, of the chapters of the Bible. Look at the first two chapters of the Bible. You see the overlaps there. You also see the overlaps with the temple imagery, with this new Jerusalem Im- imagery. I think there's, there's some, that's that's probably what I would see as a lot of fulfillment there. So, but yeah, there's probably some differences on that as well. I just think, think there's so much evidence that overlap there. But yeah, um, okay. We're okay. Premillennialism. That makes sense. Kind of the, the the flow here. How are we doing? Okay, let me pick up just a little bit here. Okay, historical background. Um, there are various forms. Um, there is one of the forms called classic premillennialism or historical premillennialism. That was this is this was evident from the first three centuries of the church. So this is uh, not something that was come up. You know, just just recently, but uh, Irenaeus, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, 2nd century, 3rd century church fathers, we see held to a view of this. It was called Kiliasm, I believe, something like that. I think it's Kiliasm, Kilius for uh, meaning a thousand. So, but it, was, but it was present. It wasn't called premillennialism, but it was, it was present. Um, however, by the time of Augustine, that it really had fallen out of favor. Most Christians uh, were, were post-millennials. And from the time of the Reformation on, if you were a reformed Christian, premillennials were, were by far the minority. Luther, Calvin, all the reformers were, were very critical of the premillennial view. Um, the Augsburg Confession was, was very critical. Calvin was very critical. Um, it was, th- this has been a minority position throughout the history of the Reformed Church. There was, there was a resurgence in the 19th century, especially amongst the uh, Plymouth Brethren and, and dispensational thinking, especially in Pentecostal churches and, and, and other, uh, other dispensational churches. Uh, but even then, it's, it's been a minority amongst the more Reformed churches. So, uh, so those kind of historical background. Let's look at w- biblically why, why uh, this position, what are the evidence of this position biblically? I think there's two main strands of argument. I'll start with the less convincing one and then the more convincing. Even the less convincing I think is there. I just think it's just, well, less. Um, so the first consideration, the Old Test- there are Old Testament passages. I mentioned this earlier. They seem to describe there- there's a time that's not the present age, And it's not the eternal state, but there seems to be something different being described. That there's this time where the Messiah is ruling. Jesus is here, but there's still sin, affliction, and death, right? Is Jesus ruling physically on earth right now? No, right? So that can't be right now, present age. Is there sin, death, and rebellion in the eternal state? In new heavens, new earth, is there sin? No, right? So there has to, it seems to be describing a different state here. So let's look at the Old Testament. in these pictures. Isaiah 65. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. All right, Isaiah 65, verse 20 says, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. So let me ask this. Um, Is this a description of the present age? No, why not? Yeah, right. That this is describing something different than the present age. Of death is not the death is not in a way so that, well, basically, well, um, that there's no dying early. There is death, but there's not there's not going to be this dying early. There's a difference, not a complete reversal of the fall, but there seems to be a, a different aspect here. But, what do you mean by a cursed for the old Um. I think the idea uh, is uh, if, he, if he only lives 100 years. I'm, I'm, I think that's, that's what the idea is there. Yeah. Um, is this a picture of the eternal state? No. Why? Because there's death. So there seems to be a description not of the present age and not of the eternal state. Now, there are difficult... Here's why I say this is lesser evidence. There's some difficulties in these passages. Um, is this specifically the millennium? I, I would say it has to be. At the same point... You always have to look at context, right? Look back at verse 17. For behold, I create a new heavens and new earth. Well, that seems to be talking about the eternal state, right? But is there death in the eternal state? So here, here's the difficulty with, with these passages. When you're looking at the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is looking forward to the future, as we've said before, even with Jesus looking forward to the future, that all these events seem to be overlapping. Right? As I've said before, it's like looking at a mountain range and you think they're all right next to each other, right? You look at the mountain range, you're driving up from Fresno and you see all the mountains, like, oh, it's just like they're like bop, 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 and I'm through. But that's not what happens when you get to the first mountain, right? When you get to that first hill, you go, oh, there's a long distance between here and that next mountain. They looked really close together, but there's actually some difference separating them. And, and, and we see that throughout the old that's, that's the thing with the first and second coming of Christ, right? And the same thing, it seems to be happening here. Of He's talking about this end time events. He's talking about events where there's going to be a new heavens and new earth, but there's also this description of something that just seems different than a new heavens and new earth. Um, uh, let's, let's look at another example of this. Uh, Isaiah 6. Verses, so if you're in Isaiah, just turn back there to Isaiah 6 in verses 1 through 11. And let's look at the descriptions here as well. Isaiah chapter 6. Wait, I don't want 6. What am I looking at here? Am I looking at 11? Yeah. It is 11. There we go. Oh, good. It's on the paper. Oh, I just, I transposed the six and the eleven for me. So, okay. So, Isaiah eleven, starting in verse six, um, so this, here's what this, this one, this, this shoot from the stump of Jesse, this, this Messiah, is going to bring about. The wolf shall lay down with, dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lay down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra. You hear that, Isaac? Yeah. it is a time where you get to play with snakes and they won't bite you. What do you think about that? Not yet, though. And the weaned child shall put his hand over the adder's den, Den, and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the water covers the sea. Let me stop there. Is this a description of the present age? No, right? My son does not like snakes, and he does not like them for a reason because I have scared him to death with the thought of snakes because... Uh, When we, when uh, Evan's house, when they caught a rattler, I said, this one, this will kill you. Um, So not the present age. Is it, is it the eternal state? Well, we'll look at verses 10 and 11. In that day, the uh, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire. They shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant, the remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. So here's here's my argument of why it doesn't seem like the eternal state. It's not my argument. This is general premillennial argument of there seems to be that there's still this this, this, this nation's seeking, inquiring of Christ. that is not a, full belief that's being described here and beyond that there it's saying that this this regathering of the remnant has not been completed that's that's verse 11 right that those in exile are not fully yet brought home so there's this this unfinished process that seems to be still described here so it's not the present age there's some descriptions that don't also fit the eternal state so what, what what do you do there uh let me look at one more and just for time's sake um well, actually, for time's sake, I'm just you get the idea, right? You can also look in Psalm 72. You can also look in Zechariah 14. Psalm 72 talks about Solomon, but it's talking about this king beyond Solomon where all the ends of the earth and the nations will serve him. And at the same point, there are going to be still those who he has to help that are needy, who are afflicted, that need help. So it's saying that all the, the, the defeated king rules over the whole earth, not the present age, but they're still needy and afflicted. So not the, not the eternal state. So it has to be a different description. Zechariah 14 is very similar, that the, that, 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 that uh, Yahweh's uh, Davidic king is ruling over the earth, and yet there's still rebellion present. The king, king ruling over the earth, not the present. There's still rebellion present, not the eternal state. There are these descriptions. Here are the, here's why I say this is a lesser argument. That's why we're going to skip through and get to the, the more important point. Is that it's difficult with prophetic imagery. I, I think that this, there's, 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 a, there's a point and a case to be made here but it is difficult when you look at prophetic imagery of saying there seems to be a description here, but if this was all there was, I would say, man, that that would be a very difficult case. But it's not all there was. I would say that this is described, if the New Testament didn't have a description of, if if there's not a description in the New Testament of a transition from the present state into a middle state before the eternal state, I would say we're reading into the Old Testament. But if that's, if there are hints in the Old Testament, and if, there is, if there's confirmation in the New Testament of this transition, then, then it really fits. And that's what we see, I think, at the best reading of the New Testament. So turn back to Revelation chapter 20. Here, I think, is the best argument. Here is why I am a premillennialist. I'm a premillennialist because the understanding of this progression of present age, tribulation, millennium, eternal state is the most it just is the it's the most natural reading of the text. As I said, if you are if you're to, to say okay, I'm I'm going to I'm not going to hold any position, any set position es- eschatologically and just read Revelation progressively through from, from chapter 1 through, all the way through the end, there seems to be a natural progression that, that just seems to fit this timeline. In the sense of, first, that there is a, a severe tribulational period that seems, contrary to the amillennialists and what Tony's pointing out, that fits something that is beyond today, that it's an a eschatological tribulation. That there is tribulation today, and what Jesus is describing is a great tribulation in, in the Olivet Discourse. And that's chapters 6 through 18. And then John, John describes this return of Christ in chapter 19. And then John describes the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 20. Again, it, it, it's, just the, it, it's just the natural reading of the text. And, and yes, John wrote in, in 1 John circular. At the same time, 1 John is not perfectly circular, right? 1 John is more hodgepodge circular. John does not perfectly follow the same orders every time in first John it's more it's not as much circular as it is emphatic of, 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 of these kind of hitting these points over over and over so to say that John then goes to rank this perfectly circular document I think it fits theologically I just don't think it fits the perfect reading of the text um, and, and so so reading the text through revelation of this progression from tribulation to return of Christ chapter 19 to thousand years chapter 20 to eternal state chapter 21. It, it, it's, it's not reading a circular theology in the text. It's not trying to cram all of that into a 70 AD reading. Um, it, it, it seems to describe not this gradual um, church bringing it about, but this really when Christ shows up, when the millennium shows up, it is cataclysmic. This is a major event in chapter 19. There's no like, oh, it kind of happened partly in 70 AD and the church is going to kind of bring about the rest. and It's going to slowly happen over time. Chapter 19, heaven de- declares something major has happened. And when, and, and when the rider on the white horse shows up, this is not like a, oh, I, got, I, just, I wasn't there that day. Right? There is a, this is a cataclysmic event. Um, there, and then when you look to chapter 20, there is not this restarting, ending in a destruction, like they would say that the, uh, a would say that is the rest, of the reading of, it always ends in destruction. Just you know, Start from the beginning, ends in destruction. Starts from the beginning, ends in destruction. There is a complete distinct event being described in Revelation chapter 20. So so when you look at that, 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 that you're saying that, that when you look at what the Old Testament is hinting at, you see, it seems to be really confirmed by the most natural reading of the text uh, with this future reign of Christ, that there is a, a binding and imprisonment of Satan. And so you could say you could say that there is a, um, you could say, you, you know, the, the, the argument could be, is, well, let me get the arguments to get this position later, but there, there is a binding and imprisonment of Satan. Which which is describing more than both the Primalists and the omelists would have to say Satan is bound right now, Satan, which which conflicts with Ephesians six. More importantly, with First Peter five eight. That's that's the one that when I was looking and you know these are fun things that I, seminary nerds like me deb- debate when you're in seminary, right? And I said, listen, you got to explain that one to me. If you can explain First Peter five 8, how First Peter five eight describes. Right now, as a believer, you are to be alert. Why? Because the devil, your enemy, roams around like a roaring lion. That that just does not cohere with the description of Satan being bound and of other influences, um, you know, that that, that causing the problems today. Also, the, the description of. That this description of the resurrection, so the amillennialist and the postmillennialist position, we'll look at verse 4 in chapter 20. Then I saw thrones and seated on them those who, um, <clears throat> whom the authority to judge committed. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for this uh, testimony of Jesus and the word of God and those who have not worshipped the beast in his image, yada, yada. And then the next verse, they came to life. Well, that's a talk about a resurrection, it seems. Except if this is t- talking about today, you would have to say it's only a spiritual resurrection. Here's the problem. The way John uses that verb, not only does he use that verb again with his second resurrection at the final judgment there in the same chapter, but you look back in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, same verb is used of Jesus, of the one who died and came to life. This is talking about a physical resurrection. It's talking about in this millennial reign of Christ, there are physical resurrections. Is there any other places in scripture where it talks about a spiritual? There is, it does. And I would say, and that's the issue. Is, is my, my That's why I point out with John. How does John use that verb, right? If John is using it consistently, first of all, he's using it, the same verb, in the same context, in the same chapter to talk about physical resurrection. And then you look at it, it's applied, the other, the other place you see it in John, in, in chapter 2, verse 8, of Jesus' physical resurrection. And it, it just, you say that, that, so is there a spiritual resurrection? Yes. Is that what John is meaning by the, his verbs there? It's not the best argument. And so we'll talk about that. There, there are, uh, you know, um, um, criticisms of this view, and one of them is, why can't it be a spiritual resurrection? And my response personally would say, because that's how John used the language. And, and, and can, can, is, there, is there a truth of spiritual resurrection? Yes, but is that what John's meaning here? When John is using that language of coming to life, he's using this this language, first of all, in the own chapter and within the, in the same book. Even if you're saying, one, that John didn't write Revelation, whoever the writer of Revelation is, that's how he uses the language is the physical resurrection. Yeah. Um, and then third, um, that, that there, there is this... Um, the description of the reigning of Christ is this futuristic, not as a present event, that Christ is reigning, but a future physical uh, reign of Christ. It, it fits with this broader New Testament theme of this Christ ruling over the earth. Um, there's some that, 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 that are a little more blurred, but like Luke 19, 1 Corinthians 6, Revelation 3. But even look back, even within John, how he writes in Revelation, look back at chapter 2. Look back to Revelation chapter 2 real quick and this promise to the church there. So in, in verse 8, you see the verse I talked about, that the words um, of uh, the one who died and came to life. But then later on, you see uh, verses 26 and 27 about the promise to the church. What does it mean for them to rule? The one who conquers and keeps my words until the end, I will, give him a, I, w- I will give authority over the nation. So there's this picture of ruling with Christ. What does it look like when this promise of ruling with Christ is fulfilled? And he will rule them with an iron rod, a rod of iron. As when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. So this rule, when the saints rule with Christ, there's going to be an authority rule over the world, over the nations, with the nations having to put quash rebellion, having to quash sin, and so there is there there's this, this fit of of um, that description there that, that fits fits broader theme. So so as we wrap up here, here evaluation. I'm a premillennialist because I think this is the best case. I don't think this is the only case. I don't think this is a 100% closed-door case, as I said. If, if when all things are said and done and the Lord returns, and, and I'm not going to go and say, Jesus, you messed up. You didn't do it like you said you were going to do it. Um, because I, I can see that there, this is an open-handed issue where Christians disagree. We're talking about one chapter of Scripture, primarily. You could try to say, well, here's these other evidences, and, but primarily we have to, you have to say, you have to look at that chapter of scripture. We're talking about one chapter out of the whole New Testament and a chapter that, that is, is honestly is difficult. But the most natural reading of the text, even, even with apocalyptic imagery throughout the book of Revelation, is, is the best, is, that, um, is, is the premillennial position, the most natural reading of how it flows from um, through through uh, up through chapter eighteen, verse nineteen with the return of Christ, verse twenty with the millennium, verse twenty one the new heavens and earth as this cataclysmic event. Um, could could you have you know, the arguments against this are well Satan is it, Satan's bound, but couldn't that Satan being bound be imagery right? Just in the same way as it, in, in Revelation having a, a creature with eyes all over is an imagery for. Um, uh, uh, um, omniscience of seeing all things, um, couldn't, uh, Satan being bound and saying, he's bound, but in a certain way that doesn't conflict with First Peter. Uh, can't you take this, this I- resurrection imagery, as, as David was pointing out, can you take that as spiritual resurrection? Can you take the, that idea of reigning as the church, of yes, we're reigning, but we're not reigning. Maybe we're, we're importing reigning in. And I would say, yeah, those are good criticisms. But I also would say that, that, that the most, but if you're the most natural reading of the text if you're just taking Revelation, not with a, I'm coming in with a premillennial position, I'm not coming with the amillennial position, I'm coming with a postmillennial position, you're going to read, if you look at Revelation, of what Revelation is describing, going through, not trying to make it fit a position, the position describes moving from chapter 18 to chapter 19, to chapter 20, to chapter 21, the most natural reading just fits with that position. Um, in this, this, this premillennial uh, progression. Um, as a new, distinct event. Not as a fitting, everything overlapping in the present age, but is this progressive event from 18 to 19 to 20 to 21. Um, so that that is where we're there. Uh, questions, questions, comments, thoughts? So we wrap up our discussion of the millennium here. We're just reading about uh <clears throat> blessed immolality to you who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. Mm-hmm. Months, we went right back to chapter two. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, one of the, uh, the church of Smyrna. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the Second death. Mm-hmm. So just you know, <gasps> the, mm-hmm. yeah. two things there. Yeah, there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. No, that's referring to are those the same people? Yeah, I mean I think, you're, you think? you're Yeah. Well, I, I I think that if you're looking at that, um I think you're 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 looking at is, is Revelation written to churches? Yes. Is it written to churches beyond the churches existed in those days? I think there's hints that there as well. So yeah. Other thoughts, questions? All right, let me, let me so where we're going next, we haven't talked, you, there's one word I have not mentioned at all yet, right? Anyone notice what word I have not mentioned at all in all the discussion about uh, Jesus returning in the end times? Rapture. There we go. I have not talked about rapture. And here's the why. The word rapture you can't find in the book of Revelation. And you can't find in, in Revelation chapter 20. So where do, what do you do? Revel, uh, the, the, the idea of the rapture comes in First Thessalonians. And so how do, we, how do we take the rapture and understand this, what's going on here, talking about the, the return of Christ in the millennium, and understand what Paul talked about the rapture with what John's talking about, um, the, 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 this progression through, through the end times. Now, I would also say that this idea in trying to figure out the timing of the rapture, there's all this discussion of you know, pre-trib and mid-trib and post-trib. All of those are intra Premillennial discussion. That's not to say that, especially at the amillennial position, that there's not a view that there is possibly some type of rapture, but because there is no millennium, you can't be a, and no tribulation, distinct tribulation period, you can't be a pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib if the tribulation is all right now, right? So it's, it, this idea of pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib is all a pre-mill discussion, Right? If you go up and you're talking with an amillennialist brother and sister, talk about pre-trib, post-trib, they're going to be like, what are you talking about? We're in the tribulation right now. And so it doesn't, it's not going to compute. But, but if, if, if we hold, like our church does a pre-millennial position, then there's a discussion of how does it, there is this, this, this tribulation here before the millennium, where does the rapture fit into that? And that's what we're going to look at next week, uh, and we'll we'll look at some of that aspect of the time of the rapture. And how do we how do we take what Paul's saying in First Thessalonians, and and then and understand what what John's doing in, in John? And that's, a, that's another difficult question. It's another difficult question where we're having to to read into Scripture where where Scripture says that this is true, but doesn't lay all the pieces out for us, which makes it, what makes it difficult. So, but that's God's revelation, and I'm not God. And you know, I I would have wished that he would have laid it out more clearly and God said, you don't need to know that much. So that's okay. God knows best. All right, any fa- final questions, thoughts, comments? All right, let me pray. Father, we just thank you. And we thank you that you do know what we need to know and you know what we don't need to know to be to be continually humble and dependent on you. But we thank you that what we need to know most importantly is that Christ is returning and that our confidence is in that and our hopes in that and that it would motivate us to holiness. And Father, I pray that as we consider your son's first coming, Lord, that make us long for his second. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.